I'm in this, I'm in this season of just trying to learn to sit. Spoke on this the last two weeks. Uh, if you weren't here, go watch the go watch the the live stream from last week. We're just looking at uh, the story of Mary of Bethany, one of the stories of Mary of Bethany who just sat at the feet of Jesus listening to him. Um, and a few things confirm sort of that that that's the season that the Lord wants us to be in is is that learning learning to sit, learning to wait on the Lord. Even if it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot happening, even if we're feeling discouraged, uh, wondering we need to be doing something. It's easy to slip into Martha mode, but the Lord is saying, sit at my feet, sit and listen. The Lord brought me to Isaiah, um, three chapters, three or four chapters together, beginning in, in chapter 40. Let me, let, me, let me urge you this week or this afternoon to spend time in Isaiah 40 and 41 and 42, probably 43 too. Those, those three or four chapters, they, they're very dense. And uh, just the more I spent time with them, the Lord, the Lord is saying, stay in this season. Stay in the season of... of, of of hearing my voice, of listening to what I want to say to you. Um, this might go a little bit longer than just a, a quick word, Lydia, but hang with me, okay? All right, so um, I just want to flow with this because um, it's, it's been a fight for a lot of us in the spirit realm in the last several weeks, last several months, last several years. So I want to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. Um, Isaiah is a prophetic word written to a people, not in Isaiah's own lifetime, but a people in the future who would be under the heavy hand of God's punishment. They would be in exile in Babylon. And Isaiah was writing to them prophetically in the future, reminding them of some things He's, he's going to say to them, judgment is coming, but when judgment comes, when that heavy time of desolation is heavy upon your heart, you need to remember some things about who God is, who you are, and what God's going to do. Um, so go back to Isaiah 40, 41, 40. I want to read just a few of these here. Forget Forget that you've ever heard them because we've seen these on so many Hallmark cards and so many Instagram verse of the day things that they begin to lose their meaning. Pretend like you've never heard this. Pretend like you are a church in exile, a church on the run, a church who is fighting for your life. And you're wondering where is God in any of this? Where are God's promises? And God writes these things to you to remember. First of all, he tells you who he is. He says this, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth? And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. Goes on to say, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. He refers to himself, I am the Holy One. Again and again and again, God says, I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Redeemer. I am the first. I am the last. I am sovereign over all the nations of the earth. He says it again and again. He says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Such good news. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, those who sit at the feet of Jesus— in a posture of brokenness and humility with alabaster hearts being poured out. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. 
They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Holy Spirit of God is saying, wait on me. If you wait, renewal comes. If you wait on me, strength comes. If you wait on me, power comes. If you wait on me, breakthrough comes. Fast forward another dozen verses. Do not fear for I am with you, which is chapter 41. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. He he reinforces who he is. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not be afraid. Verse 14, you worm Jacob, little Israel, do not fear. You worm Brad, you pathetic worm Brad, don't be afraid for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I'll turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Do it, Lord God. Do it, Lord God. And then chapter 43, he tells us how all this is going to happen. Through the man, Jesus. That's how all this happens. That's how he redeems. That's how he saves. That was chapter 42, chapter 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, you who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the water, when you go through the fire, it will not sweep over you. It will not be burned for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When we wait on the Lord, we have strength. When we run ahead in our own strength and wisdom, we don't. We can't. I just want to pray for us as a church family. A couple things I want to do. Emma, grab those, would you grab those papers that are there? Um, I want to ask if, if several of us, bring them, bring them up here. Lydia, I want to give you one. And I'll tell you what we're doing with it in a minute. And I'm just going to ask if, if there are, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There are nine of these. These are New Testament apostolic prayers. These are prayers of the apostolic fathers for the church. Largely Paul and Peter, who are, these are in the writings, in the letters, in the epistles, but they are prayers for the church and they're powerful prayers. Prayers bring breakthrough. I want, to, I want us to combat what's happening in the spiritual. I want to push back against that. Not with complaining and, and just being discouraged and being isolated, but with weapons of warfare, with the word. Um, I'm going to... How many did I say there are? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Lydia will pray one. I'll pray one. I need seven other people who will come up and read this and then just pray into it for our church family. Ron, I'll ask you too as an elder. Um, Jim, I'll ask you too as an elder as well. Jennifer, all right. Megan, Chuck, Sasha, any of you guys that will and want to even if we have more than seven or eight, that's totally fine. I just want us to take, just, you're just going to read this, the, the particular paragraph that I'll tell you which one to do. And then you're just going to take, a, you know, 30 seconds and just pray that prayer over that. And you can kind of watch what we do here on the first one and second one to get an idea for what that is. God wants to, God wants to encourage us. We are discouraged. Many of us are discouraged. That means we don't have courage. That's what it means. We have the opposite of courage. And there's never a place where the Lord says, it's okay to be discouraged. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, don't be afraid. Be strong and what? Courageous. 
mighty man of God, mighty woman of God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I want to pray this first one. Lydia, will you pray this? Get myself up. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. Too old to do that. If you'll pray just this second one right here. And... Um, Jennifer, I'll let you pray this third one right there. And anybody else that will and wants to, come on up. Ron, you're going to pray that fourth line, that fourth paragraph. That's, and I'll pass the mic down to you there. So I've got a few more here. So anyone, it doesn't, doesn't have to be an elder or pastor. And we're just going to, we're going to be in agreement with what the word says already. It's the best thing in the world is to pray the word because it's what Jesus has already, we can just give the words of God back to him. You can't go wrong when you pray the word because it's already been given to us. We know it's good. So this is a prayer for revelation of Jesus' beauty that we might walk in our calling and destiny by God's power. This is from Ephesians chapter one. Verse 17 and 19 says this, that the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know or you may experience what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So, Father, we just agree, Lord, with that. We agree with your word. We pray, Lord, for revelation of the beauty of Jesus, Father. We ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus. Father, we just receive that right now. Father, we just ask that our eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Open up our eyes to see the man Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. Lord, just like David prayed, Psalm 26, that I may gaze upon the beauty of your holiness. Father, we ask for that right now. Father, we want to experience, we want to know, we want to experience the hope of our calling, the assurance, the clarity, Lord, of your call for us. We want to know that. We don't want to just believe that intellectually. Lord, we, don't, we, we just want to know it without any doubt who we are and what we're called to. The riches, Lord. The riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, Lord. You are, Jesus, you are our inheritance. We are destined, Lord, to reign with you. We are destined, Lord, to inherit the kingdom. Father, give us a glimpse of the riches of our inheritance that you made a way for us. And Father, we pray just that you will reveal the greatness of your power toward us who believe. We just pray for a manifestation of your power right now in our church and in our families, in our kids. Lord, areas that have not, we've not seen breakthrough yet. Father, we want to see an, a, 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 just an, an exceeding overflow, Lord, of your power being manifest for your glory to the, according to the working of your mighty power in Jesus' name. Amen. This is from Ephesians 3, 16 and 19. That, we would, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell, manifest his presence in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, we trust you with, with our spiritual lives. We trust you with our, with our hearts and our spirit. Father, I ask that you would help us as individuals and as a body to just expand where you want, want us to go further for our hearts to make room for more of your spirit, more of your presence, even when it's uncomfortable. Lord, I ask that you would continue every day giving us a hunger 
to know of the fullness and love of Christ. That we would be hungrier each day. Every morning we wake up, we'd have an increase of hunger to know you and to know your love. Okay. Um, first, uh, it's Philip, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. That your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge of God and all discernment that that you may approve, rejoice in the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere, no compromise, without offense, till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Lord, I just pray that you you fill us with all the good fruits, Lord, and that you that your love just flows through us, and it it uses us to to help so many that need our help during these times and that you you just are, allow us to be the light in the darkness to shine on everybody and to show them your love and your mercy for those that don't even know it in your name we claim this amen From Colossians 1, 9 through 11. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for our patience, for all patience, long-suffering, and joy. Father, it is our privilege to walk with you, to be called your children, to be called uh, in the name of Jesus. And, and as we walk through life, the wisdom that you give us is set apart from what the world is groping to find. Father, we thank you for the spiritual understanding that you've given us to be able to see your will, to be able to understand and, and act upon that. We, we strive to be pleasing to you in everything we do, in our language, in our conversations, in our walk with you, walking worthy of that calling that you've given us. We thank you, Father, that you are giving us your strength, not our strength, not in our own abilities, but the strength that you have given us. We call upon that, and we thank you, Father, that you have blessed us with that. Help us to grow in our patience. Help us to learn the things that you want us to learn as we grow and, and go with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the Father. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may be abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Father, we just thank you. Uh, we thank you for giving us the, the power of revelation. And Lord, uh, we just ask that, uh, that you give us the, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Uh, and we rebuke the fear that has ran rapid through the nation and through the world. Lord, that we as Christians and followers of Jesus, that we will have that peace amidst the storm and have that supernatural joy that baffles people and, and, and it's the light that attracts the lost. So Lord, we just thank you and, and we ask that in Jesus' name. From Acts 4, 29 through 31. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And now, Father, we ask the same thing to happen with us. We are small. We are weak, Lord. But we are devoted to you. Continually, Lord, let your Holy Spirit remind us that we live in a much bigger world than the natural world that we see around us. May your glory be revealed, Lord, to the world through us. Signs and wonders, Lord God. Faith, Lord, let faith arise in our hearts. Make us bold, Father. Make us bold. Give us compassion and urgency, Lord, to see your kingdom revealed to those who don't know you. Remind us that we are still in a war, Father. Boldness we ask for in Jesus' name, Lord God. First Thessalonians 3, 10 through 13. Praying exceedingly that God will release his spirit and grace to perfect what is lacking in your faith. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Heavenly Father, I pray that each person who says yes to you each person who calls him and herself a follower of Jesus Christ, your risen son, would have the confidence to know who they are in you, Father. Let them hear your voice clearly. Let them have confidence in you, the great I am. Because without you, we are nothing. Everything that we think that we are, apart from you, is meaningless and void. And I pray that each person in this room, each person who is part of King's Church and your global body that we're a part of, Father, those who call themselves disciples of Jesus, desiring to be like him, that we would have such a deep-seated affection for you that we would press in and hear your voice and that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what you have called us to be, that your voice speaks into our identity and tells us who we are because we are part of you. And that through that, through that confidence in who you are and who you have made each and every one of us to be, that that is what makes our hearts blameless. Even when we fail, even when we fall short, that our hearts are found blameless before you, Lord. And that as we walk and grow in maturity, growing in confidence in who you've created each and every one of us to be, Father, that you will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or think through each and every one of us to bless those around us. Starting first in our families, in our local church, in our community, in our state government, in our local government, and around the world as we spiritually join hands with the body of Christ to change the culture and to declare the awesome majesty of your name, Father. Two more, if, if two more would pray these over. Come on up, Jared. Sit next to last one right there. So this is Second Thessalonians 1, 11 through 12. We pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasures of his goodness and the work of faith with power 
that the name of Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God. Lord, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit that you've given us as a gift, as a helper. We just pray that that spirit that unites us all, that unites us with you, unites us as a church, as a people, continue to give us discernment, clarity, to do your will, to know your word, to only follow your voice, nothing else, that we would be filled with power, that we would take our rightful place in your kingdom and reign now on this earth, just like Jesus you did already. We pray that we would follow that example continue to pour out the love that was given to us, overflow through us to the people around us and help us continue to be the light in the darkness, Lord. Well, I get, I, since, since I have the mic, <laughs> so um, when we talk about the prophetic, prophetic word, what the Lord dropped on me this morning um, is, you know, that that's an embryonic sermon is what that is. And we have to nourish it. We have to feed it, which means we have a part to play in any prophetic word. And we have the ability to choose, you know, to walk in that and to help bring that to life. But at the same time with that choice, we can sabotage it with what toxicity and other things that we might speak or bring into it if it's opposing to the word of God. So we have to make sure we don't abort that embryonic sermon by what we do, by what we speak, by what we say. And if you look at the New Testament writers, Matthew, Luke and stuff, they're reminding us of something, a prophetic word that isn't to come or in the future. It was now in their time. That was now. And that is still now. And that is he, he came. This is still the Lord's kingdom right now on earth. We're walking in it. So we need to take our place as heirs in that kingdom. It's not something to come. It came. It's here. It's here now. Yes, he will come again, but that's going to look totally different. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah. Steal that from you. Yeah, straight. That's, that's, yeah, you're right on, Jared. Inheritance is ours now. The kingdom is ours now. Last one, anyone? Second Thessalonians 3, that the word will increase its influence in the city as God releases his power on it. Paul says, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Jared, this is 100% what you are saying, man. Walking this out. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. So, Father, we just, I, I agree with Jared's word and with this prayer from Paul. Father, we pray that your word would abound in Lexington. That it would spread rapidly and be glorified. That your word would grow and take root here in the families of King's Church. 
and all around our community. Not, Lord, the, not, just, the, not the, just the written word of God, the rhema, the spoken word of God that has power and authority. That we would receive that embryonic word, Lord, begin to nurture and cultivate and walk that out. Father, we pray protection from the enemy who wants to steal what you've given us, the word that you've given us. The enemy we know wants to corrupt, distort, to snatch away, to abort that word inside of us of who we are in you, of who you are and what you're doing. The enemy wants to say, did God really say dot, 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 to cause us to question our place in your kingdom, our value to the king, and our value to one another. So we stand on your word, Lord. You're faithful. You'll strengthen and protect us. Direct our hearts, Lord, into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ today. Push us back to Jesus, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Father. Just a real brief thing from the Word. And as I mentioned, I've been in that, in that place of just thinking about sitting. The Lord is saying, stay there, stay here. Stay in this place of intimacy, seeing Jesus, sitting at his feet. Um, and I kind of find myself being drawn back to stories that are that way. Let me, there's, there's, there's a, a story in Luke and a story in the Old Testament. What should we do first? Old Testament or New Testament? Skylar. Old Testament first. All right, there we go. I try to do both in one, in one sermon to kind of tie the two together. Let's go to Exodus chapter 30-something, 30 34. Exodus 34, Moses has seen the glory of the Lord. I want to skip back a little bit. I just want to read this again. I've taught on this a number of times, but I love it so much. I just want to read it, and I won't stay on it long, but I want to put it in your hearts again. Chapter 24. Let me just read this to you. It's so awesome. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near. And the people may not come up with him. God wants to bring Moses up into his presence, the very presence of God. So Moses goes up, tells the people they're going to do that. They build an altar, reads it to the people. The next day, um, then it says this in verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. That's, there's, there's some significance in that 6th and 7th that you'll see later on. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud. What did, what did Moses enter? The cloud. We'll see that again in a minute. As he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So it's up here that he gets the Ten Commandments. God tells him here the things you're to tell him, and he chisels them on the stone. And he comes down in chapter 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. 
You ever have like those times when you're not aware that something is on your face, piece of string or a booger, and your spouse kind of looks at you and does this, like, hey, got something on you. Like, what? What's wrong? Moses was not Moses was not aware that his face looked different. He comes down and there's something wrong, something different. When Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Meg, can I tell the mask story really quick? <laughs> now, Megan loves to take care of her family and often she will make up a little face mud mask kind of things, you know. And she'll walk around with a cup and whoever is within arm's reach, she'll grab them and slather it over their face. And, <laughs> and Josie will run. What's that? The teenagers, not the little ones. If she can grab Josie before Josie runs away, Josie will wail and cry, but Meg puts it on because Meg is a good mama who cares for her kids. And she comes and, Brad, can I put it on? Sure, that's fine. I'm working over here. And she's slathering this mud on there, you know. And it dries and, like, it begins to, mamas, you know this, it begins to, like, shrink as it dries. And it pulls on your face and it's just the weirdest sensation. And I'm, I'm used to this. I've had five or six mud masks in the last two or three years. And um, Megan's used to this too, but apparently not because she somehow changed the recipe of her homemade concoction. Because she comes out, she's cleaned her face, freshly scrubbed it, and she comes out and her face is as red as a beet. Like she has been baking in the sun and the sheepish look on her face and she said, I think I put too much apple cider vinegar in this one. <laughs> yeah, I think you did. You scalded your face. <laughs> and mine too. But we recovered and now we have beautiful faces now. So when Aaron and the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. <laughs> so they're running away. Like they're not, they don't know what's happened to him. They're running away, but Moses calls him back. So Aaron and the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Um, afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. But listen to this. When Moses finished speaking to them, they're distracted. They can barely hear what Moses is saying because they're just so stunned by, by his face. Is It's like radioactive glowing. They can barely understand the words that he's saying because his face is so distracting and it's so blinding. And they say, Moses, you got to cover your face. And it says that when he was finished speaking, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, the Lord, he removed the veil because he wants to be face to face with God. He wants to be face to face, nose to nose. Sometimes when I tuck in my kids in, I'll get down and I'll like put my, put my, Put my face like right up to theirs, nose to nose. Look at me. Look at me, Joe or, or, or Cohen. Look at me, Lottie. He wants to see that. He, then he puts the veil on when he comes back out. When he came out and told the Israelites what he what commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his, feet, over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Okay, did you guys get that? Moses is in the very presence of God like no other man in human history has been at least in the Old Testament. When he sees God, there is a phenomenological, a, 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 a physiological change to his body. His body reacts and responds to the presence of God. And it then has this sort of other impact around other people. So now let's jump to New Testament. Let's go to... Hold on, where am I? Let's go to Mark chapter 9, I believe. Mark chapter 9. Before I begin to read what has happened in Mark 9, you need to know what's happened in Mark 8. Mark 8 has been a retreat with his disciples. He's taken them away to a region in the north called Caesarea Philippi. Those of you that have been on like retreats, leadership retreats, you know, you kind of get away from everything. You really want to get down to business. You want to reinforce your 
organizational core values or just have some time away. This was their time away. Jesus takes these, these disciples and they go to Caesarea Philippi. You know, this is where Jesus is going to say, who do people say that I am? He asks the disciples, guys, what's the word on the street? Who do they say that I am? Um, and you're, you don't see this so much in Mark, but you see it in Luke, but it's the same story, the same timeline. And the, and, and the disciples say, well, some say you're Elijah and others say whatever, whatever. And they, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Now that I know what the word on the street is, who do you say that I am? Who do you guys, guys, you disciples, who do you think I really am? Don't just say Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. Who do you really think I am? And Peter nails it. What does Peter say? You are the Christ, son of God. You're the Messiah. So Peter intellectually knows that Jesus is something unique. But what I find interesting is that that is connected to something that happens next, meaning this. Go to, go, to, um, go to Mark 9. After six days, how many days? Luke actually says eight days, but it's just a different way of counting the days. Mark is counting the in-between from Peter's confession to the day of transfiguration. So one on this end, one on that end. So a total of eight. Mark is just counting the, the sort of the travel time, so to speak, of six days in between. So it's not, they're not contradictory one another, but it's important. My point is this. My point is there is a connection between the event that just happened six days before and what's about to happen here. They're meant to go together. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. You're seeing similarities already. There's a mountain. Jesus, as the new Moses, is going up to the mountain. He's going to fulfill this prophetic word that was spoken, you know, 1,200 years before. But he's bringing with him you and I, so to speak. They are representatives of the disciples. They are, they are the, they're the, he's bringing up you and I. In one sense, we get to go up and ascend into the presence of God with Jesus. He leads them up there and they were there and where they were all alone. So the four of them there, there he was transfigured before them. That's such a weird word. Like we never say that word anywhere else apart from this. Like how many of you England, when you write papers in English, have you ever used the word transfigured? Like, oh, my wife was shopping clothes and she went into the dressing room and she came out and she was transfigured. Or I had surgery and I came back and I was transfigured. You know, we just don't say that anymore. It's like, but the, the word is the same. He, he metamorphed. He looked different than he did before. He changed the appearance of his body in front of these guys. Something happened. It wasn't just like this ooh, mystical experience. It was like, Flesh and blood looks totally different. They begin to see Jesus really in all of his pre-incarnate glory and all the glory that he's in right now. They get to get a glimpse of like, oh man, we just took off the humanity filter. Now we get to see Jesus really as he is glorified. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. There's this intensity to his clothes. There, and there appeared before him Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. So Elijah represents the prophets, Moses represents the law. So we're like this totality of God's revelation in the Old Testament. Jesus is there, and he's surrounded by the fullness of God's revelation in the past. Almost as if to say, I am completing this now. I have Elijah here. I have Moses here. These are the great ones of the past. Jesus is standing there with them, and they're talking with Jesus. What are they saying? I don't know. Wouldn't that be crazy to find out? You know, like one day we're going to ask, what was the conversation? Um, Peter says to Jesus then, Peter, he's <laughs> got to say something. Peter's got a great idea. He's thinking, let's market this. Let's strategize. Let's like, let's, let's, let's catalyze this moment for kingdom growth right now. Here's what we're going to do, Jesus. I got a great idea. It's so good to be, Jesus is the best place ever. Let's put up three shelters. We're going to put up, we're going to put up one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is going to be the new kingdom headquarters right here. The people are going to lose their minds. When I go down the mountain and tell everybody that Moses and Elijah are up here with you, are you kidding me? This is going to usher in the kingdom, Jesus. Let's do it. And he's firing off all these ideas, so to speak. And he kind of shifts into 
What mode? We talked about it last week. Martha mode. What are the things that I can do? And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And the Spirit of God says, okay, I got to step in because Peter's about to lose his mind. The Spirit of God moves in like a cloud and covers them. And a voice from heaven says this, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And a voice from heaven speaks to the Martha moment right there and says, stop, 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 stop. Stop scheming. Stop strategizing. Start trying to stop, stop trying to manipulate and control this. Stop and see who is right in front of you. The beloved son. Listen to him. And so when that voice Sounded, verse 8. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Like that's. There's a. There's a correction, I believe, that the Lord has to bring to us. He wants to give us revelation sort of of the the sort of the theological scope of who Jesus is but in some point the lord says you need to stop and just listen to my son and the cloud comes and the cloud moves away every potential distraction as if to say look elijah and moses the law and the prophets they can't hold a candle to the one who is right here in front of you listen to him and they looked around and they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus and what I think is happening here I think the Lord wants to he wants to take us several things one he wants to take us on that journey from Caesarea Philippi, where we intellectually know who Jesus is, but we've never encountered him in his glory. We know, like Peter, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We know the right answers, but we've never experienced the beloved Son in all of his glory and really listened to what he's saying to us individually. I know for me, that's, that's the hardest journey. I can stay in Caesarea Philippi all day long. I can give the right theological answers all day long. I can. And I can even make my way up into the mountain. But I'm like, Peter, I want to like, what do I need to do? How do I need to capitalize on this? How do I need to write it down? You know, how do I need to just to seize on this moment? And Jesus is saying, just stop, listen, stop and listen. And he pulls me back, honestly, to a Mary of Bethany kind of moment. I need to stop being a Martha for the moment and just sit at the feet of Jesus and learn to listen to what he says. I've told this story five or six times before in 2015, August 2015. I'm driving on Short Shun Road, Nicholasville, making that drive out to, from Wilmore to, 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 to Nicholasville. I'm going to the bank. Stressful time. I'm working like three, two or three jobs. I'm in ministry part, or volunteer ministry at a church. Stressed out of my mind. You know, discouraged. And just I began to begin to have a, what I thought would be a one-sided conversation with the Lord, which is often how my prayers can be. They can feel that way, one-sided. I'm talking to the Lord, and I know he hears me, but I don't get anything back. Well, in that moment, I got something back, and it was like firebolt, boom, hit me out of nowhere. The Lord begins to speak to me just like this, just like I'm talking to you, and it was, it was, it was insane. And I won't go into everything that he said, but at the end of that conversation, I asked the Lord, Lord, why do I not hear you this clearly? Like, this is awesome. Like, if I could hear you this clearly every day, we wouldn't have a problem with my prayer life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the Lord said, it's because you don't listen very well. Man, it was so true. The hardest time just listening to the Lord. 
Because I find I just want to tell him everything that he needs to do. I want to tell him all the great ideas I have. I want to complain to him about all the things that are going on, but I don't really listen to him. And so I read this here. I'm like, this is it. This is for me. You know, God is, the, the Father is inviting me up to the mountain, just like Exodus 24, just like Exodus 36, to be in his presence. He wants us in his presence. He wants us to see his glory. He wants to show us his glory. But he wants his glory to direct us back to his son. And the right place for us to be is at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he says. You guys with me on that? All right. Last thing, this is not connected to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's not at all, but it was in my devotional time this week, and I just want to share it with you in case it connects with you. Last story. The theme of, the theme of sitting at the feet. That's the theme that ties all these together, being in the presence of the Lord. Mark chapter 5. I didn't get these in, by the way. I'm sorry. Because I honestly didn't know where we were going with this this morning. What's funny is this is a contrast. What's my time, by the way? I dropped my phone. I got, I got, a, I got a few minutes left. Okay. This story is like the polar opposite. Like, if, if the first story that I told you is like city mouse, you know, with real spiritual people like the disciples in Moses and Elijah, this is country mouse. This is the, the least worthy ones to be in Jesus' presence. If those were the most worthy ones, you know, and the Lord spoke to them, then this is the least likely people that can be in God's presence. But the Lord in his grace says both are welcome to come up. So, Mark 5. They, Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, your Bible may say Gadarenes. Your, may, your Bible may say something else, Gergesenes. Basically all the same area. They've left the Jewish region of their homeland. They've crossed over the, the Sea of Galilee to the eastern side where this is Gentile territory. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This is bad news already. <laughs> this man lived in the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons in his feet. He was, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Oh my word, there's so much to unpack just in that. We're not going to today, but there's so much to unpack in that. The condition of humanity possessed by something stronger than himself. People have tried to contain him. Shackles on his feet. He's got like supernatural. He's like, he's like you ever hear stories of people that have been on drugs, you know, like PCP and crack and like how they have supernatural strength when you're on drugs. This guy is not on drugs, but he is, in, he is under the influence of, of a demonic power that is so powerful that people cannot contain him. So he sees Jesus from a distance. Listen to this. He ran, watch this, fell on his knees. Isn't that cool? <laughs> it's, like, it's like the, I don't get, the, why does he not run away? I don't get it, but he's running. He falls on his knees in front of him. It's like you can see there's a war there's a war inside of this guy, a desperation to be free, but a fight against freedom caused by the enemy. He is at war with himself. His natural man runs to Jesus because he knows I've got to get free of this. But the, de the, the demons inside of us begin to shout this. What do you want from me, Jesus, son of the most high God in God's name? Don't torture me. Begins to scream out, begins to manifest. For Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Watch this though. Then Jesus asked him a question. Jesus never asked questions of demons. Never, never does. Some people say, those of you that are in, in deliverance ministry, it's kind of not a good idea. You really don't want to give demonic spirits a lot of attention. You don't want to give them the microphone 
because they feed on that and they manipulate and they lie. So basically, allow a demon to say just enough stuff to get what you need. But Jesus, there's a point to what he's about to say. Jesus asked him, ask the man, by the way, what is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion. His whole identity is in his broken oppression. He doesn't even have a name apart from his condition. My name is Legion, for we are many. A legion is a, is a unit in the Roman military. Some people, some scholars say it's into the thousands of soldiers in a particular legion. For we are many. My name is Legion, for we, multiple demons speaking, are many. By the way, this, this is real stuff. Those of you that have been part of deliverance ministry, have you heard a person manifesting multiple voices at the same time? Blow your mind. It's real stuff. There's a real war, a real battle going on. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. It's like, please, please, please don't send us away. We've got to be somewhere, please. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus again, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Now, for the longest time, I thought that Jesus was just like being gracious to the demons. He was willing to compromise. That's not it at all. He does not negotiate, does not compromise. He is about to use something to make a greater point to the people around the area. So he says, that's fine. You do that. The impure spirits go in. They go into the pigs. All of a sudden, the pigs lose their minds. They begin to stampede. They begin to trample. They all run off of the cliff. Some 2,000 in number. Sounds about right for a demon named Legion. One spirit in each pig, it's about 2,000. And off they go. Off the cliff, a whole lot drown. Those of you that are pig farmers, that's a big loss. If you do the math, what's a pig cost? Any, any pig farmers? Say $500. Would a pig be $500? If it is, that's about a million dollars in loss in this one story. That's not insignificant. But Jesus says there is no cost too great for freedom for my children. So, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. <laughs> And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Y'all see these two words? Sitting there. Come on. Where do we belong? Fundamentally, where do we belong? The feet of Jesus. dressed and in his right mind. And here's the heartbreak. And they were afraid. So apparently they weren't terribly afraid of lunatic legion, losing his mind, living in the graveyards, haunting people and screaming. They were used to that kind of dysfunction. That could be contained. He tends to keep to himself. He runs away from people. As long as he doesn't bother us, that's fine. You stay over there. We'll stay over here. Lunatic legion. But all of a sudden, there's a power that comes in that's something that they have never seen and they can't explain, and they see something that is unfathomable, and they are afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to praise God and celebrate. Now, the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Please go, Jesus. You've caused enough mess here already. You've disrupted the status quo enough already. Just go. We don't need that here. 
We don't need that kind of talk. Just go, please. There's a lot of begging that happens in this story. The demons begging, Jesus, please don't send us away. Don't, don't send us away. Let us go into the pigs. And the people, Jesus, please, we're begging you, please go away. Please go away. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, let me go with you. Please let me go with you. (sighs) Jesus is three for three with disappointing people in this story. (laughs) Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So a couple things. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. So says Jesus. I would suggest that if we find our love, our adoration, our alabaster box being dry and empty, we need to remember our chains. Now, that doesn't mean we revisit the past and take on guilt and shame. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm not. We are free of guilt and shame of the past. But sometimes it's good to remember what God has done in your life and to revisit that in a memory and a moment to allow that to become gratitude, to allow that to become intimacy and love to the Father. There's another story of feet being anointed. It's not by Mary of Bethany. It's by another woman who doesn't have the stellar reputation that Mary of Bethany does. The Bible says she is a sinful woman. And we can imagine what kind of reputation, what things she has to have done to have that reputation. The Bible says that she comes in and she begins to weep at the feet of Jesus. And the tears wash his feet and she dries them with her hair. She anoints his feet with oil. That's where we would belong, though. We belong at the feet of Jesus. So, all right, I want to allow that word to sit with you today. I want to bless us and pray for us and minister to us. Allow the Lord to minister to us. Church, put your hands out if you would. Father, I ask for several things for your your bride this morning. I ask for a revelation of your glory, first of all. I pray that we could see your glory, Lord. Not just in this corporate family living room context. But as we go home, that each of us would have mountain moments where we get a glimpse of you and your glory and your beauty and your goodness. And I pray, Lord, that when that moment comes, that we would just take a seat and wait and listen. You, the beloved son, we're listening. We are, Lord, who you say we are. Your sons and daughters.
not defined by our past, not defined by our condition. You've set us free, and we are free indeed. Fathers, pray for an increase of the awareness, Lord, of the beauty of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and that you would allow wellsprings of love to begin to come up in our alabaster hearts, to allow those to overflow, Lord God. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.